Okay. Are you ready for God's word? Lord, we just pray right now, Lord, that you would open ears, soften hearts, and Lord, you would speak through me, Lord. Let my words, let my tongue be your mouthpiece this morning, Lord. That you don't want me and my flesh, Lord, we want you and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Okay, remember last week, radical Jesus. Yeah, he picked up his mat, the guy picked up his mat, and he walked after 38 years. And you remember Jesus went radical with his theology, with my theology. He was stepping around, stepping over people to get to this one man. And it messes with my head because you think, well, why didn't he heal the people that were there that were already ill, that were sick, but he was stepping over them. Sorry, not you. No, he went to that man, that one man. That's today, that, that's you and that's me. Jesus was coming through. And that speaks of grace. Because today my message is radical grace. Radical grace. And it's for you. Aren't you glad today that his grace towards us is incredible? Can you fathom it? Can you, can you really understand his grace? What's his grace? See, I remember someone, it might have been you, it might have been Mike, it might have been someone else, that explained grace and mercy. Mercy is not getting what you should have got. And grace is the other way. You get what you shouldn't have got. <laughs> That's a simple way of saying grace and mercy. And his grace. See, grace is always attracted to weakness. His grace is attracted to your weakness, like a magnet. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that incredible that when, like you're saying, when times are difficult and you're stressed and things are tough and the kids are acting up and the dog's acting up and the wife's playing up as normal and everything's okay with me and I'm perfect and I'm walking. No, no, no. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Aren't you glad that when it says in 2 Corinthians that his grace is sufficient? That his grace and his strength is made perfect or just made enough just so you can survive? It's just okay? No, it says his grace is made, his strength is made perfect in your goodness. In your strength, his strength is made perfect, man. Nice to see you. We nearly kissed on the lips this morning, didn't we? I don't know why I'm saying that, but she came towards me to greet as a kiss. And you know when you kinda, you're not sure which way they're going to go. And so she went the same way I went, and we almost, I think we caught the edge of each other's lip. And I was like, oh, I nearly kissed you on the lips. And it was quite a stress. It does, it says greet one another with a holy kiss. But yeah, I don't know why I'm saying that. I thought I'd better be honest, because Chloe witnessed it. She was behind, and she kind of thought, what's going what's go? You thought you were next. <laughs> and she walked the other way. <laughs> she thought, if that's what we kind of do, I'm walking that way. She went the other way. <laughs> uh, I don't even know. I haven't even started my message yet. Oh, my goodness. Uh, grace is made perfect. Grace is made strong. His strength is made perfect through my Weakness. That gives me great hope. Because when I'm weak, when I'm struggling, then I'm made strong. Because it's not about me. 
It's not about my feelings. It's not about the criticism. It's about him. His grace is attracted to weakness. But don't we try to cover our weaknesses up? Cara's <laughs> not. We do, don't we? We try and cover our weaknesses up. And like I said last week, we do it really well on a Sunday. I mean, we're good during the week. We're good on a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Saturday morning. But my, are we good at doing it on a Sunday? Covering our weaknesses up. I can't let people see me like this when I come through the door. And the welcome team have got a big smile on their face. The pastor's ready to kiss anybody on the lip. <laughs> I can't, I've got to be weak. I, I can't, I'm sorry, I've got to be, I can't show my weakness. It's not easy to walk into this church, is it? We haven't got a foyer or a reception where you can kind of come and loiter and do a few sort of, you know, chest pumps and get yourself, go into the mirror and like, you know, eye of the tiger sort of thing and get yourself ready to come into church. You're in. <laughs> you literally come through that door and you're in. But we don't like to show our weakness. We try and cover it up, but it's in weakness that his strength is made perfect. See, Adam and Eve, didn't they? What did they do? They tried to cover it up. Classic. God came to, to Adam, and he looked at him, and he said, where are you? What, have you? what have you been doing? And Adam looked and was kind of, well, it's not my fault. <laughs> it's never our fault, is it, man? It's <laughs> all... Adam said, it's not my fault. It was the woman. You gave her to help me. And, oh, she wasn't much help, was she? He blamed the woman. What did Eve, God looked at Eve then and said, well, what were you doing? And she looked. She said, well, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> it's going down. Adam, it's not my fault. Eve not my fault. It was the, the snake. <laughs> it was his fault. And I think at this moment, it was probably the only time when the enemy's actually not told a lie because he didn't deny it. <laughs> it was almost if he had hands. He didn't have hands. It was a, whatever it was. But he kind of said, yeah, it was, he couldn't respond. It was him. But we like to try and cover up our weaknesses, didn't it? And something had to be shed. Something had to die to cover up that weakness for the first time. But Jesus then, it says in Galatians, that we put on Christ. God clothed Adam and Eve in, in, in animal skins. But now in the new covenant, we don't need to put on animal skins. We put on Christ, it says, who is our redeemer, our savior. Like I just said, if God wanted to condemn you, he would have sent a condemner. But aren't you grateful this morning that he didn't? He sent a savior who's full of love and full of grace and full of mercy. Some people are starting to smile. You're still thinking about me kissing Maz on the lips, aren't you? <laughs> For goodness. <laughs> I won't say it anymore, I promise. See, Adam and Jesus, what did it happen? Death came through Adam, but life in Jesus. Judgment came through Adam. But justification and righteousness through Jesus. The law and condemnation came through Adam and mankind, us. 
but grace and truth. Jesus says he's full of grace and truth and power and wisdom came through Jesus. See, the law is what man is before God. That's the law, what man and woman, mankind, that's what we are before God. That's the law. But grace is what God is towards mankind. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God is grace towards you and me? That is why I love, I love Romans 5. I love Romans 5. Turn to it in your Bible quickly, please. I love Romans 5. Love it. And if the enemy wants to try and stop it and say, he doesn't want you reading Romans 5. Because it's full of power. It's full of grace. You see, Jesus personifies the principles of redemption. That's a difficult one. He personifies it. He, He acts. He implements it. See, if I get in trouble with the law, if I'm speeding my car too quickly or doing something I shouldn't and I need help with the law, I don't want somebody giving me a big law document and plunking it on my desk saying, there you go, that'll help. I don't want the law. I want a lawyer because he personifies the law. He implements If I'm sick, I don't want you to give me a book on medicine. And say, there you go, read that. That is so. I want a doctor. Because a doctor personifies what he's talking about. He implements it. You see where I'm going. I needed redemption. I didn't want somebody coming just saying, well, there you go, sort yourself out. Because that doesn't work. I want a redeemer. Jesus, who personifies redemption. Who implements it. Yeah, you see where we're going. In Romans 5, I love Romans 5. Everybody say that. Come on. I love, I love Romans 5. I love Romans 5. I love Romans 5. Look at what it starts with. It says, therefore, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There is no more judgment. Sin will be judged, but now God sees your sin through Jesus. Aren't you pleased about that? We have peace. With God. Peace. This morning. And verse 2. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have access by faith. So we've been justified through faith. Now we have access. Where do we have access? We have access to Jesus. Access to grace and mercy and love and truth. We have access to the Father. See, when we went to America and Disney, we had these, these passes. These passes that would, would allow you on the lightning lane. Woo, I'm never going in a normal standing queue ever again. I took my AOG minister's card with me, my pastor's reverend card. That didn't give me any access at all. In fact, they looked at me and thought I was mental. What are you doing trying to get access onto this ride without queuing with your minister's card? I didn't really take my minister's card, all right? But I had this genie pass. We had these genie passes, which meant that you didn't have to queue. You didn't have to queue. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's just wrong. Well, we paid for it. We got access. 
And we were, Joe and her family, they don't really like those sort of things. And they felt so awkward walking by people who were stood in the queue for an hour. Whereas me, your pastor, your boy, I was loving it. I was, I'm walking down, <laughs> I'm walking down that lightning lane and my head held high. Because some of the rides were pretty rubbish. I'm not queuing for an hour for a rubbish ride. I want to get, I had access. Access. Isn't that a great picture of salvation where you've got access through grace and through faith? That you don't have to sacrifice 10 goats and, you know, whatever else they had to do and, you know, demand and plead on your knees. Yes, out of worship, we, we get down and we worship him. But Jesus says you've got access. I don't think sometimes we fully understand the access we get, Asher. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, they would, be, they would be absolutely blown away the access that we get to God, that we get closeness. He's living within us now. Access. A genie pass. You've got a genie pass today. You've got a, genie, a Jesus pass. That's right. But there's more. It says not only that, but Paul says not only that, we glory in our own self Self-worth. We glory in the genie past. We glory in all the things that are great. No, it doesn't. Hang on a minute, Paul. You were doing really well then. You were doing so good right in those first two verses. But now he says, no, you glory in tribulation. When it's tough, when it's difficult. Because it produces something. It produces perseverance and character and hope. Verse 5, it says, And the hope doesn't disappoint, for the love of God has been poured, poured into your hearts this morning, shed abroad into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad about that? And then God, verse 8, says that he demonstrated his love towards us. When we were perfect and got our act together, he did it. He did it when you got everything sorted and all your ducks in a row and your bank balance was a certain figure. That's when he did it. (laughs) He says he did it while you were still an enemy. While you were still an enemy of God. I'm, I'm not an enemy of God. We were enemies. We were fallen. We were sinful. We were unrighteous. Even our good works, it says, is like filthy rags to him. But when Jesus came... It says that God saved us while we were still enemies. How much more now that we're saved is he going to love you and he's not going to reject you? Yeah? Radical grace. I love Romans 5. The enemy doesn't want you aware of Romans 5. But I want to tell you, keep it in your back pocket. Keep it in your heart. Romans 5, because when you're having a bad day on a Monday morning, I want to tell you, you can't stay down if you read Romans 5. Radical grace. So turn to John 8, please. John 8. We're going to have a look at radical grace in action. And it's a, it's a well-known story. It's a well-known one that, like last week, with a guy by, um, who was at the pool waiting for a stirring in the water. It's a well-known story. There you go, we got a little prop down here, ready to go. Radical grace, radical love, radical 
Jesus. John 8. Better turn than myself as well, wouldn't I? That would help. John 8. What's going on here? What's going on? The law and grace were about to collide. The law and grace were about to collide. See, the verses leading up to John 8, there was a feast, Feast of the Tabernacles. And it was a joyous occasion. There was lots of joy. There was eating. There was music. There was dancing. It was kind of a a great, it was a celebration of God taking them out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery and into freedom, into the promised land. That's what they were celebrating. And it was seven days long. It was a joyous occasion. And the day before, we get to verse 1 here, the day before, Jesus had pretty much declared himself as God in the flesh. Okay? This is the scene that's being set up. I'm going to trip over that, aren't I? (laughs) This is the scene that's being set up. Jesus, the day before, had declared himself God. He had read something from Isaiah saying that all who believe in me, if you're thirsty, come to me and you'll have living water. You'll never thirst again. This is what Jesus had declared. And the Pharisees, the religious people, they criticized him and they were enraged, absolutely outraged at this Jesus who was, at this time, he was only 30 years old, at this young whippers, this young upcoming pastor, this young upcoming thinking, (laughs) not me. (laughs) But he's thinking, who do you think you are? They were outraged, but so much so that they wanted to arrest him. They wanted to arrest him, to take him and and get rid of him. But it says that they couldn't because he was popular. Jesus was popular at this point, what he was saying. And it says in verse 46 that it says, No man has ever spoke like this man. You remember last week the guy said, I have no man to put me in the pool. Well, they're saying now this man, there's no man like this man. I want to tell you, there's been no man ever like Jesus in the entire history of the world. There's been no man like this man. And aren't you glad today that we have a Savior that you can come and you can say, Jesus, there's no one like you. I'm so glad that there's no one like you. And they recognized it. They said, no man has ever spoke like this man because he is the man. He's the man. And so they wanted to get rid of him. So they set a trap. And it was a good trap. It was a great trap. And we pick it up in verse 53 of of chapter 7, the verse before. It says, everyone went to his own house. Everyone. Remember, this was a feast. There was thousands, tens of thousands of people now had descended on Jerusalem. They were living in tents. They were living in booths. Can you imagine this? They would have been just camping out. It's a bit like waiting for a Grimsby Kind of, you know, a season ticket. People were, well, the, the night before Santos played Argyle. People camping out everywhere. It was crazy. Trying to get a glimpse of Jesus to hear this man teach. And the, 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 the feast and the, the celebration. There were people descended upon this place. It was crazy. There was no room at the inn again. So they all went away. They went away to plan and to try and humiliate Jesus. It says they went away to his home, of their own houses to plot and to plan his humiliation and his downfall. 
See, because they said if we can humiliate Jesus in public, his credibility will be damaged and his popularity will start to go downhill. That's what they were saying. But let's read on. See, verse 2, it says that Jesus, early in the morning, there's a word for all the uni students, early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down to teach them. He, sat, he went back to the place where they tried to arrest him. Back to the place where there was a scuffle. Back to the place where it was uncomfortable. We like to avoid those sort of places, don't we? If it's been difficult or tough or certain, we like to think, well, that's that. I'll put that over there and I'm not dealing with that ever again. Jesus went back the next day. And it's important to, to understand that the next day was a Sabbath. They have a Sabbath on the first day preceding the festival and the feast. So the first, before the seven days, they have a Sabbath at the first day. And then after the seventh day when it's finished, they have another Sabbath and then the eighth day after. It's important to remember that, all right? Remember that. Remind me. Okay? So always one at the beginning and one at the end where they couldn't do any work. They couldn't do anything. It was a Sabbath, okay? And very early at dawn. Very early in the morning in the Bible is dawn. Okay, so you can imagine it's, there's not much light. The sun probably hasn't come up yet. And here's Jesus. He takes his place. He sits down, as any good teacher would. And he starts to teach the people. And a great crowd had already started to come around him. Early in the morning, they were waiting. They were waiting. People wanted to hear what Jesus is saying. Do you, are, you, are you that kind of, you know... Enticed in to hear what Jesus is saying, that you would get up early in the morning. In verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees, here they come. Here they come. Can you imagine the scene? Jesus was sat down teaching. It would have just been Jesus' voice. And as he's teaching, they burst through. And it's the implication here in the text is that they interrupt him. Remember last week when Jesus interrupted the man when he said, do you want to be well? And as he's given all his excuses about his childhood and everything else, da, 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 Jesus says, rise up. Well, this is the same implication here, but this time it's not Jesus doing it. They're interrupting him. And can you imagine it if it was a Sunday morning and those doors and I'm speaking here and people drag this woman because as we go on, a woman was in, they caught her in the act of adultery. And can you imagine if someone burst through those doors this morning as I'm talking now and said, hey, we've caught this woman in sin. We've caught this woman doing something. It doesn't have to be adult. It could be anything. And drag her in here. Can you imagine? You'd all, first of all, turn around, wouldn't you, to see who it was. You know, I'd be looking over thinking, what on earth's going on? All this commotion coming through the doors. That's what it would have been like with Jesus. And they're demanding, saying, hey, Pastor Dan, what are you going to do about it? We caught this woman in sin. What are you going to do about it? And I'm stood here kind of trying to get my message across and interrupting. You know what I would say? I'd say, well, we've got another pastor over there. that <laughs> Go and see Rob after the meeting and he'll sort you out. <laughs> it's called delegation. Senior, sorry, the senior pastor is sat over there. I'm just an apprentice. 
But this is the seeing that Jesus is having. See, we can read the Bible and not really implement it into our lives. But can you imagine Jesus sat there teaching and these people just burst in and interrupt him? How rude. But life can be inconvenient sometimes, can it? It gets interrupted by something that we don't choose. Of something not very nice may happen, and it just kicks into our lives like that. What's Jesus going to do? See, in verse 4, the only problem here was there was no man. <laughs> We're saying, I have no man to put me in the pool. The Pharisees are saying, there's no man ever spoke like this. Here we have it again, there's no man. They bring the woman. In Leviticus 20, it says that both man and woman should be stoned if they're caught in sin and adultery. They should both die, face the death penalty. There's no man. That's the problem. See, the Pharisees were violating the law in the name of enforcing it. In the name of enforcing it, they were violating it themselves. Isn't it crazy that sometimes the right thing can be the wrong thing also? Yeah, you could be doing the right thing. They thought they were doing the right thing according to the law, but it was done in completely the wrong way. Isn't that funny in my own life? Sometimes I can be doing the right thing, but also the wrong, in the wrong spirit or the wrong way. It's funny, isn't it? Verse 5, around the temple. I didn't realize this until this week. Around the temple, the Romans... The Romans had built a, a, a military, large military fort around the temple. You might know this already, so just buckle in and get ready. They built a large fort around the temple. So Roman guards, Roman soldiers would patrol. They wanted to keep an eye to make sure there was no unrest. There was nothing untoward going on while the Jews, especially at feast season. So can you imagine the scene that it's dawn, you know, the sun's just coming up. It's not quite sunlight yet. Jesus is teaching, he's been thrown, this woman's been thrown at Jesus. You've got Roman guards that are patrolling, watching on from the top. The Roman soldiers were watching down and everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. And what did they do, the Pharisees? They didn't just ask Jesus a hypothetical question. They didn't come in and say, hey, Jesus, what if we caught a woman caught in adultery? What, what, what if? What, would you, what if that happened? What did they say? They actually brought the woman in, literally. It says that they literally, they put her in the midst. This is not a hypothetical question. And they said to Jesus, but what do you say? Jesus, what do you say? See, often in my life, I have to ask myself, do I ask that enough, Jesus? I know the, the Pharisees here are trying to criticize and trip Jesus up, but I read this in my own life to say, how often do I actually say, Jesus, what do you say? Because yeah. when you get in a pickle, when, when things are tough, do we actually go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you say? I'm learning that one, and I'm the pastor. Because <laughs> we like to do it our own way, don't we? And we like to struggle and say, hey, I've got to figure this all out. And sometimes it's the last place we go is the Bible to say, Jesus, what do you say? 
But if you're in a tough time this morning, I want to encourage you to say, get to God. Get to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you say about this situation? What do you say? What are you saying? But here the scene couldn't be more dramatic. The law and the grace, it couldn't be more tense. See, what they were essentially doing was they were asking Jesus to either agree or disagree with the law. The law that Moses had stated for a Jew, this is just, you know, the, the, the pinnacle. They were asking him to agree or disagree. Confrontation. Can you imagine the tension? The crowd would have been listening, hanging on his every word. Not like you guys this morning, you know, kind of, when's he going to feel? I've got to be out of Formula Ones, so I've got stuff to be, to be doing. They were hanging on his every word. The crowd were listening, and the Roman guards were watching. Can you imagine? If Jesus said, yeah, stoner, there would have been a massive commotion and violence ensue, and the Roman soldiers would have come down, and they would have arrested Jesus for kind of causing a chaos, starting a riot, if he had said stoner. But if Jesus says, let her go, He's discredited. He's going against the law. So either way, Jesus loses. Either way, Jesus loses. Ever been in that one where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't? He's smiling. <laughs> when you just don't know what to do, you think, if I do this, I'm wrong. And if I try and do that, that's pretty much my life at home with Joe and Ruth. <laughs> I can say that, they're not here. Nobody's going to tell them, are they? You're not going to tell Joe I was dissing her this morning, are you? Definitely not. Oh, yes, he's a yeah. <laughs> And that was just Charles. <laughs> yeah, I know you lot, I know. Drop me in it. But you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. And Jesus makes his choice in verse 6. Jesus makes his choice. Are you going to agree or are you going to disagree? And Jesus makes his choice. Dun, 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 dun. And then we'll leave it there till next week. God bless you. Have a great rest of the Sunday. Enjoy your lunch. Jesus makes his choice. And that's it. We'll see you next week, John. Where's he got? He's gone already. Look, he's had enough. He's... <laughs> Just make sure his shoes aren't there, are they? Rapture's not happened. Is he? No, his shoes have gone with him. That's good, okay. It's like the end of EastEnders or something, isn't it? Where it kind of music kicks in and you think, well, Jesus has made his choice. That's it. We don't know. Do you want to know what his choice was? If he agrees or disagrees, he loses either way. He's damned if he does or damned if he doesn't. See, what I like is Jesus' react, not reaction, Jesus' response. See, there's a big difference. There's a massive difference. Here's John. Bless you, John. You all right? <laughs> it was nice. It was nice things. I thought the rapture had happened and you were gone. So it's like, you're well, Terry's not here. So, you know, it's kind of like the next person is... 
But I love Jesus' response. See, there's a big difference between a reaction and a response. There's a massive difference. A massive difference. See, a reaction is quick, knee-jerk, instant. Yeah, you've ever been on the end of a reaction? I grew up with a very strict mum. And I was on the end of quite a few... No, 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 I'm joking. You hate it when I say it. Very great, loving mother. But just go with it for the sense of preacher's license, all right? She was very strict and very reactive and need to... And every time I did something wrong, she would come in with a wooden spoon. <laughs> and ask her, she would lash me on my hand. I'm only joking. <laughs> I'm not going to say anymore. I'm getting into trouble here. But there's a big difference between a reaction and a response. You responded in love. See, I'm saying, I know, yeah, I know. Still got a scar there. To you have to get that checked. Hang on, just, I need to get a doctor's appointment. But a reaction is quick, but a response needs to be slow and measured. Full of grace and full of truth, Jesus. See, the enemy always wants a reaction. The enemy of your soul always wants a reaction rather than a response. Very often, do we get it right or do we get it wrong? Sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong, don't we? But the enemy wants a reaction. See, the Pharisees here, they wanted a reaction from Jesus. But Jesus responds, and I love his response. It says that when they continued asking him, they continued, oh, no, no, sorry, no, 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 not that one, the verse before, verse 6. It says that they said to him, testing that they might have something to accuse him, verse 6. But it says, but Jesus, he stooped down. This is where my prop comes in. He stooped down. You got the prime seat there, haven't you? He stooped down. And he started to, with his finger, see, he's not pointing the finger like we would sometimes. Not you, me. I always point the finger. Not you. You're, you know, you've got it all together. You're all right. But me, I would point the finger. And I'd be saying, you did this. You did that, you hurt me, you hurt my feelings, you've, you've done wrong. You... Jesus didn't point the finger. I'm going to have sandy potatoes for lunch, I think. <laughs> so our bacon tray, doesn't, Joe doesn't even know I got this. this <laughs> so if we get sandy potatoes this afternoon, okay, then don't tell Joey. I know you won't tell her anything, all right? You're not going to say anything to her, okay? I will, I know you will. Jesus got his finger in the dust. And everybody's looking, and he stooped down, and he started to write something in the dirt. Are you listening? Because for many years, people had debated for years and centuries about what did Jesus actually write. We want to know, don't we? We like to know. We're in the age of Google. Instantly, Google doesn't know. And they debated. But I want to tell you, I think I humor me this morning, all right? Because this is not for definite, but this is what I would consider Jesus wrote, okay? So this is not gospel truth, but 
because I've always kind of liked, there's a lot of different versions and, and things, and I always like the one where a lot of theologians said that Jesus started to write the names and the sins of the people that were looking on. And I like to think, yeah, that's my Jesus. He would start to say, you criticizers, and he starts to write their names in the dirt. And it says that one by one, they left by the eldest to the youngest. And I like that. That's, that's classic Jesus. I'm thinking, I like that version. Yeah, anyone else with me think, yeah, I like that? Go, or Jesus just started to write something and say, I'm coming for you, sort of thing, you know, kind of something really radical and something really. But what if, as Jesus, I don't know if this is going to work that well. I tried it this morning. I'm going to have to get the sand. What if Jesus started to, to write in the, in the dirt? What if? I don't know if you're going to be able to read that or see it. What if Jesus wrote that? Can you see that? What if Jesus got down and he wrote, can you see that? I don't know if you can see that at the back there. It might disappear if I hold it and tilt it. But what if Jesus got down in the dirt and actually wrote, I don't know if you'd be able to see that on the camera probably. I don't know if that works. Let's see if the cameras may be good. I don't know. But what if he wrote D-E-A-T-H? How would that mess with your theology? What if when the Pharisees and the people around were looking down and they could see that Jesus had wrote death in the ground? And when I saw that this week, I thought, that's, that, that's not my Jesus. But what if? What if? See, the amazing and interesting thing is, remember I said it was a Sabbath. And you can think, oh, Sabbath, yeah, that's boring. Not allowed to work, not allowed to do anything. You've got to sit still. Not... What was important is that people weren't allowed to write. They weren't allowed to write on a Sabbath. Permanent. They weren't allowed to write on paper. But what I found out this week is it was permissible it was allowed for a rabbi to doodle with his finger in the dirt. <laughs> you see where this is going? It was allowed for a rabbi to doodle in the dirt because they saw that as not permanent and that the wind would blow away the dust and so it wouldn't be classed as work. Can you see that? So I would consider... It's not gospel truth, but I would consider, and I've heard a lot of theologians and scholars this week that I've kind of gathered some, some information that they are, they're coming to saying that this could be possible, that Jesus wrote this in the dirt. The reason being that the next phase of what he said is, it says that he raised himself up. And this is the gospel in a nutshell. Because he raised himself up and he said then, who is without sin among you? Now that I've said 
according to the law, according to the law, this is correct. But Jesus didn't say it. He kind of scribbled it in the earth. According to the law, this is correct. So then he says, to him without sin then, you throw the first stone at this woman. Isn't that the gospel in a nutshell? Put that there for a minute. Isn't that the gospel? It says that Jesus raised himself up. Jesus raised himself up. See, the woman is me and the woman is you. We were all caught in sin. We've all been unrighteous. We've all done wrong. That's me and that's you. But aren't you glad that Jesus first, it says that he stooped down to the ground. He came down to our fully man, fully God. But then the gospel, it says that he raised himself up. A picture of his crucifixion. He raised himself up for you and for me to fulfill the law. Not to do away with it, which is why I consider he wrote that. Because it was true, according to the law, she should have been stoned, and the man. But Jesus is bigger than this. See, that's the essence of the gospel, is he deflects the anger that was being projected onto the woman, the anger that's being projected onto you and me through the law. He deflects it from the woman onto himself. Don't you just love that? Is that he deflected all the animosity towards the woman and all the anger, saying, what are you going to do about this woman that sinned? And he deflects it onto himself. And he says, so let him without sin throw the first stone at her. And the stage empties from the oldest to the youngest. Now, in Jewish culture, the oldest was always looked at for sort of saying the right, you know, saying the first thing. If there was someone, we would all look at you. Maybe you're not the eldest, eldest, but seniority, you're the eldest. So if there was someone where someone came in and had a go, uh, theologically, you wouldn't necessarily look at me first. Some of you might, but so we would all look at what he would say, wouldn't we? The eldest, the, the kind of spiritual elder, we would look at what you say, and then we would go down in Jewish law, they would look down eventually to the younger, which is why they said they left by the eldest to the youngest. They were looking to see what the eldest person did. Because if he threw a stone, then they would think, well, that's okay. But they knew if they did that, they were claiming to be sinless. In verse 10, I love this. I know we're running over. Verse 10. The stage empties. Jesus is left on his own with a woman. Don't you love this? See, and I'm not even sure that the woman knew that they all left. I'm not even sure she knew. She would have been expecting the death penalty, especially if she'd seen what Jesus wrote maybe in the earth. She would have been thinking, yeah, I deserve to be stoned. I deserve violence. This is it. My life's an end. And in tears and in despair, I'm not even sure she knew that Jesus had took care of it. Doesn't that bring you great hope to think in your weeping and in your sorrow that Jesus takes care of it? And often we don't even know that he's working in the waiting. He's working behind the scenes, as Terry would say. He's dealing with it and sorting it. 
Jesus is going to take care of it. See, I believe some people in here this morning, you just need to hear that Jesus is going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it. See, he doesn't condemn you. Condemn you. What did Jesus say? He said, where are those accusers of you? And she said, there's no one. There's no one here but a man. Because there's never been a man like this man. And they said they looked at each other eye to eye. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Isn't that amazing? He didn't say, go and sin them or go and sort yourself out and show yourself to the priest and then come back and then I'll not condemn you. His very first thing was, I don't condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. But his first word was, I don't condemn you. See, I said at the beginning, if Jesus wanted, if God wanted to condemn you, he would have sent a condemner. But he sent a savior. He sent a savior. Let's stand to our feet, please. See, because I know there's some people that need to hear this message. And you say, well, my sin's too great. I've heard that again this, this week. My sin's too great. Jesus can't forgive me of my sin. I've done something that's so big and so great and so bold that Jesus can't forgive I want to tell you, it says that Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And he's not just done that. He's taken it far from the east is from the west. My transgressions. That's what it says in Psalm 103. From the east and to the west, he's removed our sins from us. Isaiah 43 says, I am the God who blots out your transgressions. Jeremiah 31 says, I will forgive them their sin and remember it no more. Yeah. Hebrews, into the new covenant, I will be merciful and I will remember their sin no more. But the one I really love is Colossians 2. And this is what I want you to see. Colossians 2, it says that he made us alive together with him, having forgiven our trespasses. Having forgiven our trespasses. See, in the woman, as she was stood there, I don't know what she was expecting, probably for her life to end. But what does Colossians say? It says in verse 14, it says that Jesus, having wiped out... <laughs> So I want you to see that because I don't know what you've got written in the sand this morning that Jesus saying, having wiped out all the transgressions, when the wind blows, when the Holy Spirit comes, it wipes out that which is labeled and that which is spoken over you. It wipes out so you are set free. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, taken it away, it says, nailed to his cross having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them. They wanted to make a public spectacle of him, but Jesus turned it around. So I don't know today what message in the sand is being spoken over your life. But I want to tell you that Jesus has wiped it away. Jesus has wiped it away, that you're now set free. I'd just like us to close our eyes, please. That this is personal between you and God. And you may be seeing that word, that label, that word that has been spoken over you. As I walked with that word saying death in the sand, there may be a specific word that has come to you right now that has been labeled over your life for a long, long time.
But I want to tell you that the sand has been shaken because of Jesus. And that that which has been declared over you, that which has been labeled over your life for a long time, I want to tell you it's been wiped out because of Jesus. That today, right in this place now, you can go out of this place with freedom. You can go out of this place with life. You can go out of this place with forgiveness. And with every eye closed, I, I want to give you opportunity again to say, yes, Jesus, it may be that you've walked away from him for a long time. And you may have accepted Jesus a long time ago, but your life is not married up to the lifestyle of a Christian. Well, today I want to tell you it's okay. That the sand has been shaken, the dust has been removed, that you're free. But you have to respond to him. And so as the rain comes down, is that you this morning to say, Jesus, I'll respond to you. I respond to you. I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I've, I'm in a bit of ruin. I feel empty. I feel despair. Some things have been labeled and spoken over me, but today I'm coming to you, Jesus. Jesus looked at the woman and eye to eye. He says, I don't condemn you. Is that you? All eyes are closed. It's for you to simply say, yes, Lord. I need you this morning, Jesus. I need your loving touch. I need the Father to let me know how much I'm loved and that I'm forgiven. Give you a few seconds to respond. It may be that you've responded already, but you're saying, Jesus, yeah, I need to be released and set free, Lord, from, from that which has been spoken over me. For your radical grace to come and so shake my life, to set me free from these chains that are holding me. If that's you, then you're simply saying, Jesus, yes. You're responding. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you don't condemn us. We thank you for your radical grace. That when the law said one thing, you said another. You came and you fulfilled the law. That we may walk in freedom and newness of life. We've made a been made alive with you today. We thank you today, Jesus. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, let it be applied to our lives. For the rest of us, Lord, that, that have been walking with you and, and with you, Lord, let us be, have a fresh revelation of who you are. Is that we may come and say, but Jesus, what do you say about this? What do you say? Help us, Lord in this coming season, to be light in the darkness. That for others of our friends and family, Lord, who may not know you, Lord, help us to be that light, to speak that light, to speak your light into situations. That we may turn things around for your good. We thank you today, Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen. 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 We thank you, Lord for your goodness.